Well, I had a title, but I had to change it this morning. <clears throat> My title was going to be, Are You a Fanatic? But then I got to thinking about all of these things in the world today that are being carried out uh, in the name of some sort of religion, and we refer to them all as fanatics. So I want you to know, I, I want us to be fanatics, but I want us to be good, good fanatics, okay? So I changed the, the title of my message to simply is, What is Your Passion? What is your passion? Going back to the word fanatic, I, I, you know, what drives a fanatic? What, what drives a fanatic? Whether it's for a good cause or a bad cause, really, it's the same thing, I believe, that drives a fanatic. And I believe that thing is passion. A passion for something or someone. Passion. You know, Webster defines it many different ways, but the number one definition, if you look it up in your dictionary, it will say a compelling emotion. This emotion that compels you to act. Passion is a powerful, powerful force in the life of a passionate person. Winston Churchill had a quote. I really liked it. I don't know if it means anything to my message or not, but I like the quote. He said, a fanatic is one who can't change his mind and will not change the subject. A fanatic. I know some fanatics. You can't change their mind and you can't get them to change the subject. Sometimes it's one of those things I just want look, I don't, I'm not interested. I'm not passionate about that at all. But I do admire in that person, no matter what it is, that they're passionate about it. Even if I disagree with them 100%, at least they're passionate. And we are called to be a passionate people. Passion is a power that it's a force behind almost all the great things that happen. Whether it's great music, great art, great literature, great architecture, whether it's someone who excels in music, whether they excel in athletics, all of these things, if you, if you analyze and look into it, what is this? They are passionate about whatever it is that they are excelling in. And I believe a passion for a Christian should be a God-given thing. There is a passion that should be in us. But as we'll talk about a little later, it's not something that comes naturally to most human beings. I think all human beings. It's not something that comes naturally. We have to choose what we're going to be passionate about. I've shared some things in the last few weeks that we, where choices are required where we sometimes don't realize that. You and I are choosing what we're passionate about. And we will remain passionate about what we continue to feed, what we continue to fuel as a passion. Nothing really, really great is accomplished without passion. Nothing great is sustained in our lives without passion. I'm not going to spend much time on it, but you've ever seen a new believer who gets so fired up? Is Dana in the building? No? I wish he was. If you all know Dana, Dana's nuts. He is so on fire. He is so filled with passion. Right now, it's amazing. And I say right now because we've trained ourselves to say, ah, it'll, it'll wane. Passion should never wane. It should not wane in the life of a Christian. Man, when I see Dana, I want to encourage him. I might, in the back of my mind, thinking, this guy's crazy. But I'm thinking, oh, man, he's crazy in a good way. He is passionate about a good thing. And passion, but it will not be accomplished or sustained unless we fuel it. Passion is what energizes life. 
You ever talk to those people that they almost drive a lot of us crazy because we're not passionate about anything. One of my pet peeves when I ask somebody, how are you? And they go, good, it's Saturday. What the heck does that mean? You hated Monday through Friday? You hate what you're doing? You hate life? You're not passionate about a thing, are you? Get passionate. Be passionate. Fuel the passion. It's what makes the impossible possible. You know, somebody will share their vision with me, and I go, oh boy, inside I'm thinking, These, they're crazy. I have a really good friend named John Nakamas. I, I used to work for him at Relco for a number of years. Did he leave? So I can say whatever I want? Okay. The guy is crazy. He gets visions and dreams that are nuts, but he's filled with passion. And lo and behold, the impossible becomes possible. And I'm afraid the trade has been carried on in his son. What a good thing. But we can do things that the world might say you're crazy. I mean, really, seriously, not to, to, to glorify or pick on John or Brian or Relco, but come on, seriously, a worldwide business in Ballotton, Minnesota? It ain't going to happen, right? It's happening. Why? Passion. A desire that needs to be fueled. It gives us a reason to get up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go do something that's going to make a difference today. And that takes a conscious choice because I've got to admit to you, I don't wake up and say that to myself every morning. Sometimes I wake up and look at my calendar and go, oh, phew. I give, I surrender. But most mornings, it's, you know what, I, I want to do this. This is going to be great. I'm going to do something that's going to make a difference today. It may not be a big difference, and it may not be a make a big difference in any of your life, but it might make a difference in one person's life. And that's good enough for me, because that's one of my passions, to see people live the abundant life available in Jesus Christ, to see them living and walking in freedom. It would be nice to see more of it, <laughs> but just one, time, one, one little breakthrough makes it worthwhile. The crazy thing is, without passion, life gets boring, it gets monotonous, it gets very routine and dull. I do not want to live a life that's boring, monotonous, routine, and dull. And here's a clue for you. As Christians, that even shouldn't be an option. It shouldn't even be possible, quite frankly. Think about this. If you really believe what we say we believe, the God of the universe, the God that created the heavens and earth and everything in it, the God that holds it all in place, the God that redeemed me, set me free of sin, lives inside of me. Do you believe that? If you're a Christian, you should believe that. Don't get so excited about it. Think about it. God lives inside of me. Okay, you're, you, you, are you hearing me? Is this broke? Think about it. Do you care that God lives inside of you? Does it drive you? Does it motivate you? Does it fuel you? Does it create a passion within you? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go on anyway. It should. God created us with emotions to give us the ability to be passionate. 
it's part of his plan to be passionate. What are we supposed to be passionate about as Christians? Well, in the Bible, one day there was a teacher of the law who came to Jesus, and Jesus has been saying some things, and this teacher of the law has kind of been standing back there listening, and finally he steps up, and he's got a question for Jesus. and They're kind of always trying to, to stump him, to, to, to make him make a mistake, do something. And, and he comes up to him, and he says, You know, uh, Jesus, Rabbi, what's the most important thing in the Bible? Now, they didn't have the whole Bible. I know that, just so you know I know that. What's the most important thing in the whole Bible? What's the most important thing in all of the law? And Jesus replies to him, I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, he's saying, I want you to be passionate about me. I want you to be filled with passion. That is the most important thing. When Jesus himself has asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest thing in the law? What is the greatest thing? Love me. Be passionate with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Be passionate. Nothing matters more than that. I mean, really, this isn't me talking. Jesus said this is the number one thing. This is number one. When we sing those songs, boy, this morning, and I'm sure it's because of what I've been studying this week, but it's like, man, I don't know if I'm passionate in that area. I don't know that that's really the most important thing to me. Am I just singing songs that I like? Am I just singing along with the worship team because it really makes me feel good? It's nice church makes us feel good, but that's not what it's designed to do. Are we passionate? We're called to love God passionately. I want you to love me passionately. I want you to live for me passionately. You know, if you're going to follow Jesus, this is basically what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to be my child, I want you to love me passionately. And all through the Bible, we see this mentioned over and over again. And a lot of times the scripture itself says, with all your heart, with all your heart, passionately, the whole of your being. He tells us, seek me passionately. You know, there's some of you in here, some of us in here, that if I said, hey, I've got four 50-yard line seats for the Vikings-Packer game, and they're hidden in the building. Whoever finds them gets them. Now, some of you would go sitting here, what the heck's a Viking and a Packer? Some of you would be going nuts looking for those four tickets because there's a passion in you about football, about the Vikings. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's what you would seek diligently. And God says, Jesus says, seek passionately for me. Love me passionately. Serve and obey me passionately. Trust me passionately with your whole heart. In Colossians 3.23, should be a slide of this. It says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart unto the Lord and not unto man. All that you do, if you're a farmer, do it with your whole heart unto the Lord. If you're in, working at Relco, do it with your whole heart. Whatever it is you do, do it with your whole heart as you're doing it unto me. This is what he's telling us. In America and in our culture, 
it's okay to be passionate about almost everything but one thing. In the world, go with slide three, I believe it is. Those guys are passionate, or gals, or whatever they are. Go to the next slide, just for equal time. Really, you're going to put a cheese head on top of your, a cheese thing on top of your head and go out in public and scream for people? Jump up and down and paint yourself green or purple or yellow? Or, seriously? Next slide. That was me walking through the Mall of America. I couldn't believe the way people responded. (laughs) Oh, maybe not. Put a movie star there. Put an athlete there. Put somebody, anybody there who's supposedly famous. You know what? In my era, when the Beatles came from England, most of us guys looked at the women and girls around us and thought, they're nuts. They're weeping. They're crying. They're just going nuts. Because four guys with slightly long hair, not by today's standards, went on stage. They looked way worse than those. In the world, it's okay to be... What do we call those? They're fanatics. They are passionate. They're excited. It's great. Aren't they having fun? Look at them. Go to the next slide. Those people are lunatics. Those people are nuts. They're religious fanatics. Don't have anything to do with them. In our culture, that's about the only thing that we cannot be passionate about. Our faith, Jesus Christ, serving the Lord. In our culture, that gets condemned. The guys with the cheese heads on and the Viking horns painted purple and green and drunk out of their mind, they're they're passionate. God has said we should be the most passionate people on the planet. We should be passionate about Jesus Christ, passionate about our faith, and we need to fuel it. We need to to continually, well, let's put up a scripture. Romans, I think it's slide 7, Romans 12, 11. I've got it in the NIV and the Message Bible. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Message says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. In other words, the the Paul is writing to the churches and church in Rome, and he's saying, be passionate. I don't care what happens. I don't care who they persecute. I don't care what they threaten you with. I don't care about all that. Don't burn out. Be passionate. He doesn't say don't burn out and just lay back for a while so you don't burn out. No, he says fuel the flame. Keep the fire. Feed the fire. Feed the passion. We are called to be a passionate people. But we're not by nature passionate about God. We need to choose to be. You weren't born a Vikings fan, a Packer fan, or or born loving some rock group. You became that. You chose to be. We have chosen by the grace of God to accept the gift of salvation, to become a child of God by faith. Fuel the passion. As a church, if we want to truly impact a community or a region or our family and friends, we need to be passionate about Jesus Christ and our faith and what he has done in us, what he's done for us.
One of the keys to, to fueling passion, I'm not going to talk about this because it came to me afterwards, but for this morning as we were praying in there in the prayer room before service, this attitude of thanksgiving, just being thankful for who he is and what he's done, what he's caused you and me to be, should be overwhelming enough to cause us to be passionate. But what I want to talk about is a fuel of passion is knowing our purpose. Knowing what our purpose is. The key for us as a church to impact the community is to be individuals of passion. Passionate people. And to be a passionate people, we need to be united in purpose. Two key things right there. Unity and purpose. You know, why do we exist? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? Well, I'm just going to put this big one up here that says, our purpose as the purpose of everything is to glorify God. Okay? That is number one. But what is our purpose? Why, why us? Why victory? Who are we? What are we here for? Why? We at Victory have kind of looked at our, our purpose is, 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 and we stated it like this, to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. And along with the purpose needs to be unity. We aren't going to be in unity unless we know what our purpose is. And the unity that we can then have just increases the power to accomplish our purpose. I could spend a whole time, and this is why I didn't know how, where I would go with all of this this morning, but um, unity, 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 unity is so important. In a church, in a church, it, I hope I say this in a way that makes sense. In a church, we shouldn't even have to think about unity because we have the Holy Spirit in us if we're Christians and we are united by the Holy Spirit. Unity isn't something that God tells us to build up. He tells us to preserve it. It's given to us in the Holy Spirit. We are united by the Spirit. There's one God. There's one Lord. There's one Savior. There's one baptism. You know the ones. There's like seven of them listed. And, and it's there. But we need to preserve it. Fight to preserve it. It is so important. If you were Jesus, how many of you want to pretend you're Jesus for a minute? If you were Jesus and you knew you were walking to the cross, really soon you were going to be arrested, beaten, crucified, buried, and you decided to pray to the Father, what would you pray for? <laughs> Father, bail me out of this. There's got to be a better way. You know what he prayed for? Unity. In John, chapter 17, verse 20, it says this. My prayer, Father, is not for my disciples here alone. I pray also for all of those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. This is Jesus' prayer for you. You and I have an opportunity to be an answer to the prayer 
of Jesus. That all of them may be one. That's my prayer, Lord. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow, that is powerful. The unity in the body of Christ is going to be evidence to prove to the world. And he goes on, that you, he goes on and he says, you have given them the glory... I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they, they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. May, may they be in complete unity that the world would know that you sent Jesus, that he's the real deal. Is it any wonder what's going on in churches around America especially, but around the world, that the world looks at the church and goes, yeah, right, who wants to be part of that mess? The church is so, there's so much strife, there's so much division, there's church splits left and right. Where is the unity? I want, Father, I'm praying. I know I'm going to die real soon here on the cross, but my prayer is that not only these guys, not only my disciples here, but anybody that might believe in me because of the message that they're going to spread throughout the world would live in unity that they would be one just as we are one. I'll touch back on unity in a few minutes, but I hope you can see the importance of unity when it comes to purpose. You know, without purpose in our lives, there is no foundation. There really is no motivation, there is no direction, and there really is no unity. Purpose enables us to have those things, a foundation. We know, we know where we're going. We know what we're doing. It can motivate us. It gives us motivation, direction, and unity. This is not my sentence, but I don't know where it came from because it wasn't given credit in what I was reading. But it said this, without purpose, and I really like this. It says, there will be motion without emotion. There will be motion, in other words, activity, without emotion, There will be activity without accomplishment and efficiency without effectiveness. I should have made a slide of that. Read it again. You know, I think this describes a lot of organizations, and I think it describes a lot of churches. You know, you can put together, if you get some good administrators, you get some good managers going, you can put this thing together. Man, you got motion. You, people are moving in every direction. You got activity galore out there, and, and you've got all this going on. And man, we do it, we even do it efficiently. There's no wasted energy. No. But with the motion, there's no emotion. With the activity, nothing's really getting accomplished. And all that efficiency is not effective, it's not accomplishing the purpose. I think a lot of our modern churches are getting that way. We got all kinds of things going on. We got all kinds of programs. We, we organize them well. We run them well. It looks good. It's efficient. And everything appears good. But there's no purpose. It's nothing's really being accomplished. You know, we don't do the best job all the time, but you know what? Anything we do in this church, we want it to be part of accomplishing making or helping people to become 
discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. That's kind of what we use on the scale of should we do this or shouldn't we? Well, will it help people to discover and experience the abundant life in Christ? And that can look a lot of different ways, a lot of different things. But if it's not going to do that, why are we wasting our time? Well, it'll be fun. That's nice. But we don't have time for just fun. We're not accomplishing our purpose just with fun. Can we have fun? Absolutely. Wednesday night's going to be a blast. But it's setting the stage for something greater to get our kids involved, to help them discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. It's what we want to see happening. You know, the early church, no one was more effective since the early church than spreading the gospel. In Acts 4, 32 and 33, it says, All the believers were one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. And then it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they kept sharing the gospel, and much grace was upon them. These believers knew that they had been been enlisted into an army of service. When you and I became Christians, it wasn't just so we could get the stamp on our forehead that says approved, you get to get into heaven. It says you are now part of the family of God and we have a purpose to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We happen to phrase it a little differently. We want to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. We want to see people discover, get saved. We want to see them experience, walk out, become disciples of Jesus Christ. While every single one of us has a different task, a different gifting, we need to remember that there's a purpose. And we hope that one of the primary reasons that you want to be a part of Victory Church is that purpose helps fuel a passion in you to fulfill the Great Commission. And we can do it in so many different ways. And we've got so many unique gifts and so many unique personalities and unique talents here that we can do this in so many ways. The church, the early church, understood this. They had one leader, Jesus. We as a church, if we think we have another leader besides Jesus, we're in trouble. He is the head of his church. And one purpose, to communicate the gospel, make disciples, to help people discover and experience the abundant life in Christ. And we try to work this process through. If you looked in the foyer, you see three pictures that say connect, grow, serve. I'm not going to spend hardly any time on them. But connecting with, first of all, with the Lord. Leading people into salvation. Connecting people with fellow believers in Jesus Christ so we are body working together, encouraging one another, building one another up. We do it through public sharing of the gospel message in our corporate gatherings gatherings, and through other ministries and missions. Growing our small groups, Bible classes like this morning for the adults before service, the academy classes that take place on Wednesday nights when our children are at Victory for Kids, All of these things, they're part of growing in our relationship with the Lord and growing in our relationship with others in the body of Christ. And then serving. Serving in the church, serving in our communities. Whatever you do, do it with a passion as if unto the Lord. 
serving in missions. There's so many opportunities to serve. Some of us have the gift of serving. You're extraordinary servants. But we're all called to serve. When we became part of God's church, part of God's family, we became a part of this army that's called to serve. And doing it all with a passion. All with unity. Driven by love. In John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Unity and love. How can we be in unity? Well, we, we've got the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. How do I stay in unity? I preserve the unity. How do I do that? I want to read the scripture that says this so you know I'm not making it up completely. In Ephesians 4, I'm just going to read verse 3 that I underlined. I think I underlined it up there, yes. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. And it shouldn't be that difficult if we truly love one another. The agape love of Christ in us. He loves us unconditionally. We love unconditionally. With that, there's unity amongst diversity. There's unity when there's disagreements. You know what? We can have a discussion. We can talk about something. We may never come to agreement, but that does not have to break unity because we love one another and we're we're still focused on the same purpose, the same goal. Loving one another. And loving one another is what demonstrates, first of all, that you're really a disciple. And it also demonstrates to the world that Jesus is really who he says he was and he really did what he said he did. I don't know if I had time. You know, there's nothing that will destroy the effectiveness of a church quicker than disunity. And I believe as individuals we underestimate the impact our relationships with one another have corporately on the church. What I mean by that is if you're sitting over on this side of the church and there's that couple over there and you're both sitting there intentionally because you just can't stand them, we got a problem. Not just the two of you or the four of you, the whole body's got a problem. How many of you remember when the Challenger exploded? Got to be old, I know. A few seconds into its flight, We'd launched this rocket. I believe it was a really big deal because there was a school teacher on there, wasn't there? Nancy Ride or something like that? Or Krista McAuliffe. Yes. And a few seconds in, the whole thing exploded. Blew up. They discovered, and those of you that are my age will remember this from the news, they discovered what caused that explosion. An O-ring. One O-ring that didn't do its job. One O-ring that didn't seal what it was supposed to seal. There were over a million parts on that Challenger spaceship. One little O-ring failed and it blew up. We are brought together as the church and we're referred to as a body. And all the bodies, we are all different parts of that body. 
And everything that we bring into the body of Christ, into this church, is important. I believe you're not here by accident, not even by personal choice. I believe you're here because the Lord has drawn you here. And he draws you here because he has a purpose for you here. To be a part of a bigger body. And this body needs your part to function. Because no matter how many parts there are, all it takes is one and we will not run efficiently. We won't accomplish all the things that God has for us to accomplish. And when we're not in unity, that gets destroyed. It gets broken. We're not commanded to create unity. We're not commanded to, to even build unity as such. We're commanded to preserve it. Do everything that you can to keep unity in the church. I'm just going to quit there. So if you're mad, come back next week. I'll try and make you feel better. If you feel good right now, come back next week. I'll try to make you feel worse. But let's pray. Lord, I just, I thank you so much this morning. God, that by your spirit, you just reminded me personally of what you've done for me. How you rescued us, how you rescued me. How you demonstrated your love for each one of us through sending Christ to die on a cross for us to set us free. God, I confess at times, I and I'm sure others, we, we put other things and our passion for other things ahead of you. Lord, I, I pray that by your spirit, you will help us in our own weaknesses to, to fuel that passion. To fuel the passion. Help us to see our parts in the purpose fulfilling the Great Commission. Give us the grace to step forward, walk out our own personal destiny, even as we are part of a much bigger destiny. Lord, I pray you would continue to help us to understand what it means to be loved by you unconditionally. There's no requirements no demands. We don't have to perform for you. You love us. And Lord, that we would learn to love others like you love us. Lord, we do pray for unity in the body of Christ. Even as Jesus prayed to you as his Father, Lord, I I pray that we would be one, united in purpose, to advance the kingdom for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.